Well, there's your review of what we've done so far this semester. Um, if you guys have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll kind of pick it up tonight. So Acts chapter 1. Um, so as these guys just reviewed for us, um, we've been kind of exploring the story of Scripture um, so far. And tonight's exciting because we enter into sort of the final chapter of the story of Scripture. Um, have you guys ever read a book that like ends at a different time than you think it's going to end? Like you're reading a book, you're reading a story, you're really into it. You think it's going to be over. And then all of a sudden you like flip the page and you realize there's like a ton more story left. Um, Sometimes that's a bad thing because you're like, that book should have ended a long time ago, right? Well, in the story of Scripture, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, we actually kind of turn the page. I mean, we, we hear about the cross and the resurrection like the lady just reminded us of. And, and we turn the page and we find out there's, there's more. God still wants to do more things. He's still up to something in his world. Um, and it kind of gets kicked off, this final chapter, the this chapter of his church, which ends with his return. Um, that's kind of what we, what we cover tonight. So, Acts chapter 1. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, as we just explore this this passage, as we look into this um, section of your story, God, I pray as we've prayed all semester long that you'd help us find ourselves in it. God, that you'd help us see... um, Lord, what you, who you are, what you're like, um, what you've been doing among your people forever, um, Lord, and that we'd see ourselves in it, what it means for us, how we're supposed to play a role and play a part. Um, Lord, we do pray that you do that now, God, that by the power of your Spirit you would speak to us, Lord, in your kindness and your mercy, that you would um, take the words that I prepared and you make them your word to us and for us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're just going to kind of walk through just some just different parts of this scene. Um, I think it has a lot to say about your life and my life. Um, it's going to be a little interesting. There's going to be a real tension here that we'll talk about at the end. Um, God is going to redeem the world eventually completely. Okay, And the tension, the weird part, the hard part is he's going to do that through the church. Um, and if you've been around church for any amount of time, you'll realize... 
that churches aren't perfect, that things... Like, if you spend time around church, you'll, you'll realize, wait a second, this is it? This is the means by which you're going to change the world, rule the world, redeem the world, save the world? Um, there's kind of a tension here, but, but that's exactly the case. Um, so let's, let's take a look at this story. Um, look at verses 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theophilus. Um, it's got Theophilus. You know, scholars are a little bit split on this. With Theophilus, an actual historical person that Luke, okay, Luke's the guy who wrote Acts, that Luke was actually writing a letter to. Um, was it a historical person? Some people say yes. Other people maybe think Theophilus is sort of a generic name. Um, kind of like just saying, hey, dear Christian or dear college student. Just kind of a generic name of, of, a, of a, you know, hypothetical believer. It can kind of fit in the place of any person. And, and Luke's writing this account to, to Theophilus. And he says, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in the first book, Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. Um, but Luke tells us right here in the first book, the book of Luke, was only what Jesus began to do. And when I kind of read that this week, I got to thinking about everything that happens in Luke. And is that really just the beginning for Jesus? I mean, listen to this. Here's just some scenes from Luke. The whole birth story with the shepherds and the angels that you probably read at Christmas time. Um, Jesus teaching in the temple among adults when he's a young boy. Jesus' baptism in which his ministry is sort of inaugurated. Um, sort of his kingdom work sort of begins. Um, the temptation scene when Jesus sort of almost recapitulates or he redoes in a sense the story of Israel and all the ways that they had failed God in the wilderness. And, and Jesus goes into the wilderness himself in the temptation scene and he comes out faithful and, and he's successful in his endeavor to stay faithful and true to God. Um, so that's in Luke. Um, we hear about healings and miracles and there's lots of casting out demons. That's in Luke. Um, we hear about Jesus' astounding teaching that kind of turns things upside down, specifically the parables. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells all these parables that just turn all their expectations, that surprise, that leave people just sort of shocked and wanting to hear more, but really confused. And some of them want to leave his presence because these parables, his teaching was so compelling and so interesting. So we hear about that. Um, we hear, and this is one of my favorite parts, we hear about Jesus' just preference for people who are on the outside, for those who are broken, um, those who are marginalized, those who are poor. Um, we see Jesus' preference for those kind of people, for being around them. There's an amazing scene in Luke 15 where the Pharisees get angry because they say, He eats with sinners. We see this in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, we see these table fellowship with sinners. We see the way he boldly confronts the self-righteous people. And in and, and the big climactic moment of Luke's Gospel and all the Gospels, we hear about Jesus' death on the cross. We hear about him being raised from the dead. And Luke's going to tell us all of that is just what Jesus began to do. And, and the answer to that is like, yes, actually, that was just the beginning. There's more. Um, it's, it's like a great story when you turn the page and you realize there's more. There's more that Jesus still wants to do. Um, and, and we hear that, that Luke kind of covered everything from the time he was taken up. And that, that's how the Gospel of Luke ends. Um, but, but what we hear, and look at, look at verse, verse 3. We hear that Jesus presented himself to his apostles alive. And he presented, them, he presented himself to them alive. And it says, by many proofs. Um, you know, it matters for Christian faith that Jesus was actually alive and that he showed himself alive. Um, that his resurrected body was real. That the, this whole thing um, really happened. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. You guys know this. 
And I have moments in like my pastoral ministry when I think about Scripture and I think about like working with you guys and I think about what I do for a living. And there are times where I think to myself, like, I'm really glad we didn't make this up. And then there are times where I'm like, I hope we didn't make this up because this is crazy. And if we made this up, then I'm wasting my life. Right? And you are too. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But so it's really important for Christian faith that Jesus showed himself alive. And it says that he did it by many proofs. In 1 Corinthians 15, we hear that he appeared to many people, hundreds of people. Um, and, and this is important for Christian faith. Now, now a lot of us are come from a sort of evangelical Christianity that has an, probably an over-obsession with trying to prove things like this. Okay? Trying to prove things that Jesus really was this. Kind of like an obsession with apologetics and proving certain things. Um, it matters that he was alive. But there are certain things we're not going to be able to prove. Like, for example, we can prove that a man named Jesus lived and he was drug outside of a city and crucified. But we can never prove that that saves you from your sins, for example, and defeats the works of the devil. Like, so there are certain things about our faith that we can sort of understand outside of Scripture. There are certain things we have to accept by faith. Um, if you guys have more questions about how I feel about that, what I think about that, I'd love to talk to you about it more. Um, but I'm just saying for here, it matters that Jesus actually showed himself up and he was alive. And we hear that he was with his disciples for 40 days. Um, 40 is an important number in the Bible. It's kind of short for a really long time. Jesus was around, he was alive, and he was alive and around for a long time. Um, and, and we hear that he had conversation with his disciples, that he, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Um, in verse 3, we hear that he was with them for 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, Jesus' actual physical resurrected body was among his disciples, and he's having these conversations about the kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God, God's rule, God's reign. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The, the kind of moment when God would sort of come back and, and sort of bring his rule and establish his reign again, once again, among his people and among the earth. Um, Jesus is having this conversation. Um, but we see in verse 4, if you look down at verse 4, we see that he tells them to wait while staying with them. Um, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you had heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When Jesus was among his disciples, he would often um, talk to them about what would happen once, he's, once he was gone. And the focus of this teaching was, was on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in John's gospel, Jesus actually says that, like my physical bodily presence, it's for your good that I go. Because then you'll have the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come to you. And I've always heard that and thought that was a little strange. So you mean to tell me Jesus actually says that the Holy Spirit living among us in you and in me and in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling among us is better than if Jesus' physical body was still here. The, the, the presence of the Spirit among us is better than that. And Jesus tells his disciples here in verse 4 and 5 to wait. Wait till the Spirit comes. So, so if we look at verse 6... Um, it says that when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, it's the perfect question. It's exactly the right question. I mean, my goodness, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, all the dreams that these disciples had about getting to kind of overthrow the Romans or, or get to be reestablished um, as God's people, all the other nations being subservient to the people of God. This was kind of a hope 
A Jewish hope of the Old Testament is that one day God would rush back into the scene. He would restore the kingdom to Israel. Israel would be exalted, worshiping their God. And all the nations would sort of come and be a part of that or be subservient to them, depending on kind of who you were listening to. But this was a great hope. And so they're asking the right question. Jesus is alive. Um, He's there. He's talking about the kingdom. And he's doing this for 40 days. So it's the, it's the right question. Um, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, we, we see in verse 7 that Jesus says it's actually not the right question. Um, he said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But we receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, again, some of us inherit an evangelical Christianity that's obsessed with predicting future things. Um, And maybe you're not from that world at all. I'm not either. I kind of am, actually. Um, Or you see, like, kind of in our culture, like, it's 2012, right? In the world's supposed to end this year? Something like that? Um, You know, there's a lot of speculation, apocalyptic speculation. And and Jesus is really clear here that those kind of things are not for us to know. But instead, there's something else that we're supposed to be doing. And that kind of comes in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Um, The call to the people of God, for the apostles here, and it's the same call of us today, um, is to be witnesses. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? Um... You might have images conjured up in your mind of a a certain kind of conversation that you're supposed to have with people who don't know Christ. And and that's what it means to witness. Um, And that that certainly may be part of that. There may be times where you find yourself in conversation with people who don't know Christ. And you need to be able to explain to them the gospel and and what you believe. Um, So that's part of it. But, but, but the idea of being a witness, the idea of, of, of just being a witness to, to God, a witness to what Jesus has done, a witness to who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing. The idea of being able to be in a particular place and, and being that sort of presence of Jesus in a particular place. This is all sort of wrapped up in what it means to be a witness. Um, it's local. Um, you're called to be a witness to the way of Christ in your dorm rooms, um, in your city, in your community. Um, on your campus. Um, it's also bigger than that. It's global. We're called as the church to be witnesses to what, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, the good news of what God has done in Christ to bring redemption to the world. We're called to do that locally. We're called to do that globally. Um, we're called here to do that to the ends of the earth. Um, I mean, this is, this is kind of what it means to, to be a witness. And all this is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, being a witness takes on all kinds of different forms in different shapes. Um, I've seen just a little bit this past week um, here at our church, there was a, a lady in our church who had a really serious car accident Saturday morning. And um, just the way that, that the people of God have sort of, for lack of a better term, um, just in, infiltrated sort of UAB hospital and bringing encouragement and, and hope and, and kind of modeling to the world that, that when a terrible car accident happens, that that it's not outside of God's care and God's concern, and that people will surround this family and, and bring encouragement to them. See, in that moment, the people of God were sort of a witness to the truths and the reality of God in that particular place. Um, this is kind of what it means to be a witness, and, and this is the calling. This is, is what we're supposed to be doing. 
And from this point, you know, it kind of picks up steam for the rest of the book of Acts. Um, And we hear that the apostles sort of, you know, birthed these sort of communities of people in particular places who were being a witness to the gospel, a witness to Jesus and and who he was and is and does. Um, See, Jesus was not done working in the world. and, And the people of God kind of, these communities are born. We hear in the book of Acts, like in Acts chapter 2, um, we find out that there's a, a time where they're sharing their possessions to make sure they took care of each other in a society where many Christians were sort of pushed to the side and marginalized and poor, that they shared um, their possessions with each other. And we hear that they are intensely praying with one another. And we hear that the Spirit emp- empowers them to bear witness to, the, to Jesus and proclaim the gospel and with all boldness. Um, and, it, and this message begins to spread, and, and we hear about this. Um, we can look at other, like, secular, you know, sort of sources and see what these people did. Um, we know in the ancient Roman world that the Christian community, that the, they, they were originally called followers of the way meaning the way of Jesus. These people in particular places who were followers of the way of Jesus, we learned from sort of Roman history that they were the first to kind of go into an area when a plague would occur and sort of all the people were trying to avoid contact with the sick people. What we heard is that the Christian people were actually sort of passing them on the way to go nurse and care for the sick people. And we learned that the early Christian community, when when babies would be kind of tossed out and abandoned, maybe because... Um, there, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a son or an heir, and, and there was no use for this baby. And we tossed aside. We hear it was the Christians who were the first ones to kind of come alongside and, and take these babies and to care for them. Um, you know, they had learned this ethic from the work of God throughout all of history that caring for the people who are vulnerable um, is, is a high value in the heart of God, and they did this. And, and we hear that that later in the New Testament, we hear Paul describe this this sort of movement of people in particular places empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witness to who Jesus was and is and does, we, we hear that they um, became described as the body of Christ, that some of them were like arms because of their gifts and abilities, and others were like legs, and, and the arms and the legs kind of needed each other, and the eyes and the ears, and that's actually the way that Paul describes it, like a body, and that every joint and piece is being built up to the fullness of Jesus. Um, we, we hear that they're called the household of faith, um, like a family. Um, you see, and there, there's a real sense in which I just, I just told you guys, like the physical presence of Jesus, you know, at this point in our story is going to leave. That's not exactly true. Okay, the bodily presence of Jesus, his resurrected body is going to leave, but the physical presence of Jesus is you and it's me. It's like hands and it's feet, it's people who bear witness to him in particular places. Um, I mean, the church is actually supposed to be practically helpful in our world. Um, There are times where we're going to be loved in our world and in our communities. There are times where we're not going to be loved in our world and our communities. Um, And we're supposed to kind of toe a difficult place there. Um, And that's that's the call of, of your life and my life, is to be this kind of community and to be this sort of witness um, I mean, this, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, I'm a pastor, okay? Like, I'm planning to dedicate the whole of my life's work to sort of, in a full-time kind of basis, you know, kind of working within these communities that are supposed to bear witness to the way of Jesus. Um, 
But you guys, you might not be pastors one day. You might go and do all kinds of other things. And that's still your calling, is to, is to be a part of Christian communities that bear witness to the reality of who Jesus was and is and what he does. Um, and, and that's a big hope for UCF, by the way. This, that's a real hope for what we're trying to do with you guys. Um, we really want you to leave our ministry and be able to be helpful members of your local churches one day. Um, and that's your calling. That's the calling of every Christian. Um, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Christians are supposed to belong to groups of other Christians. Okay, There's no such thing as a Christian who can just kind of be a solitary, churchless Christian. Um, St. Augustine was famous for saying that God is our father and the church is our mother. Um, I don't know if that's theologically correct, but the point is that we have to have the church. You know, and it's really easy... Um, as college students, to not really ever plug into a local church. Because you know you're going to graduate in a few years. You know, why waste your time? Really getting to know certain people and you're just going to leave. Um, and guess what? When you get out of college, there's going to be a real temptation and tendency to not really plug into a particular church. Um, because, and you know what? It, to be honest, I understand that impulse. Um, and it's that tension I mentioned at the very beginning is that you start going to churches and you start hearing about things that are discussed at churches and you see the way churches use their money sometimes or you see the way they do their worship or the things they sing or the guy who talks and or, or the way that and you're just like really god really really i mean this is really it like this is your primary means by which you're going to bring redemption to the world like this really you guys are laughing anybody ever had that experience and you're like i mean there's got to be a better way. There's not a better way. Like, this is the way that God's ordained to sort of bring the story of redemption to its, like, kind of fullness. Um, it's the church, and we've got to learn to love it. Um, we've got to learn to love it, and it's hard. It's never going to be perfect, and you're going to be frustrated and disappointed. Um, but you've got to learn to love it. Ask God to help you learn to love it. Um, and, and just... The last little part of this story. Um, verse 8. He gives them this commission to be these communities. To be this witness. And then look at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So the disciples have been through a lot. And they see this Jesus whom they loved crucified. And they're depressed and lonely and they're scared and they run away and they're completely disillusioned and disappointed. And then he's raised to life. And they're shocked and overwhelmed and afraid again. And they're not sure what this might mean. And then we hear that they spent 40 days with Jesus talking about the kingdom. And now all of a sudden he's going to literally fly up into the air and disappear. And these guys are confused. And, 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 we, and we hear that they're confused. I mean, and the ascension of Christ is, an, is a crazy thing. I heard, a, I heard a professor of mine say one time that the ascension of Jesus, the doctrine of the ascension, the idea that Jesus has left and he reigns at the right hand of the Father, he rules and reigns, that that's probably the most neglected doctrine of the church. Um, I, think, I think he's on to something there. It really is powerful. It means a lot that Jesus actually, no matter what things might look like on the outside, Jesus very much rules and he reigns and he rules his world and, and, he, and he's bringing his plan of redemption to its conclusion. Um, but the ascension's crazy, okay? It was crazy for the disciples here. Um, I was thinking about that this week. Here's just a crazy thought about the ascension, okay? Jesus' bodily presence, okay, was raised. So he actually had a body, and then he goes away. 
So what that means is that Jesus' physical body is actually somewhere. Crazy. I don't know. That's all I'm going to say. It's actually somewhere. Um, just crazy question. Maybe that'll give you something to think about tonight. Um, where is it? I don't know. Right hand of the Father, but what does that mean? Okay, anyway. So this is confusing, and the, and the apostles are confused. Look at verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And then verse 11 said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? In other words, the picture is that these guys were just dumbfounded, staring at the sky like, okay, he just flew away. Is he coming back right now? Is there something else he's going to do? Like, the, the word's really strong. They're just literally staring intently like... And you can understand why they'd be confused. And these angels have to come and say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go. So we find out that the final chapter... Okay, maybe, maybe the best way to say that is, is that the, the final paragraph in this chapter of the story of Scripture is going to involve Jesus again returning. Um, that's what we're going to talk about this week. But in the meantime, these angels are trying to tell these guys, you just heard what he told you to do. So in other words, stop staring into the sky and, and start doing it. He's going to return again, but in the meantime, you've got a job to do. And when we belong to the church, we're a part of that, okay? I know it might not feel that way, but you're actually a part of that when you belong to a Christian community, when you belong to the church. And this is a way in my mind that, that's helped me kind of think of the story of Scripture as it pertains to this part. Um, we talked about creation, okay? Um, we talked about how God created the world, okay, that the fall happened, um, sin enters the world, that God chooses Israel, um, the, the people of God by which he's going to redeem the world. Um, he ends up having to come, not ends up as if it's a secondary thought, but however we understand that. Jesus comes in flesh, brings his kingdom, accomplishes salvation. We hear that the work was finished. And then we kind of enter into this last chapter of the church. And sort of the final chapter of the church when Jesus returns is kind of over here. And it's like between this moment in Acts 1 and this moment when Jesus returns, it's like in the story of Scripture, this is the best way I've been trying to think of it. It's like there's blank pages. Does that make sense? Okay, we, we have the final paragraph. Um, we know sort of the first paragraph, and we know a lot more than that because we have the history of the people of God in the book of Acts. We have, we have the history of the church. So some of these pages are filled in, but there's still some blank pages. In other words, we've been sort of handed the script. Okay, everything that's gone before has been handed to us, and now it's our turn to kind of get up and, and, and be a part. Um, and, and that's really the question for tonight. Um, you, you're here, you know, you're a Christian. Um, Christ will return and finish this redemption project once and for all. We'll talk about that next week. But in the meantime, there's a story to be written. Um, there's a part to play. So that's really the question for tonight is, how are you going to engage the church? Are you engaging the church? Um, are church people kind of just annoying to you and you don't really want to deal with them? Okay, that, I might be speaking to myself right there because I feel that way sometimes. Is, is the way the decisions are made in the church, is that just something that's making you cynical and disillusioned and you don't really... Are, how are you going to engage the church? How are you going to engage the people of God? Um, how are you going to be a part of this story? How are you going to be a part of bearing witness to Him in, in the local and in the global 
Um, We're called to do both. How are you going to be sent out into broken places? Um, How are we going to be sent kind of across our campus? I mean, it's local, it's global, it's extraordinary, it's ordinary. Um, It's empowered by the Holy Spirit and is the means by which God will redeem the world. And it's something to be a part of. And I want to encourage you guys to engage the church, to be a part, to do it. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that means for you to kind of go deeper with the people of God somewhere. Um, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that looks like. Um, but that's really the challenge is that tonight we, we kind of see that, that God's doing something. That we shouldn't just be kind of idly standing by. That there's, a, there's a job to do. There's, we have to bear witness to the reality of who Jesus is. And, and, it's, and it's for you. It's, it's the calling for us to be a part of his, his work. Um, to fill in some of this, these blank pages until he returns. So what's that going to be like for you? What does that mean for you tonight? We've got to learn to love the church. So here's what we're going to do to sort of end tonight. This is very different than the way we end it. We're not going to um, end by singing, even though that would be a wonderful thing to do. Um, we're going to end tonight. First of all, I'm just going to give you guys a second um, to just personally just reflect for, for a few minutes and just think about that question. What does it mean for me to engage the church on a deeper level? We'll do that. Okay, then after that, I'm going to lead you guys in a little bit of a prayer to pray for the church. Um, I'll kind of give you guys some things that you can pray about silently. Um, we're going to talk about sort of the persecuted church, the global church. And then at the very end, I want us to kind of get into small circles and get around a circle and share where you guys go to church. And then you'll take a second and pray for your particular church here in Birmingham or your particular Christian community here in Birmingham. Um, and that God would be glorified and, and, and kind of move his mission forward in that place. Um, So let me pray for us. We'll have a couple minutes to reflect and I'll lead you guys through a prayer. Lord, we want to be a part of your work. We want to love your people. God, we love um, the reality of who you are and what you've done. And God, we're so um, honored to be called into your fellowship of of believers. Lord, I pray that you can help us know what it means to witness to the way of Jesus. Um, Lord, so now as we just take a second to think about what it means for us to engage your church in a deeper way. Lord, for us to love her. Um, Lord, for us to maybe um, apologize to people within her um, whom we've disregarded. Lord, I I just pray that you help us know what it means um, in this moment.